welcome back or welcome to the On Coaching Podcast. I'm Steve Magnus, joined by my good friend and colleague, John Marcus. John, what's going on, my man? Checking my watch, man. It's time to give the people what they want. Let's do this. All right. And before we dive into this week's episode, which will be a make it or break it one, we've got to tell you about the Running Scholar Program, your one-stop shop for everything coaches. It's your coach's education. It's your mentorship. It is your clubhouse, your community to have conversations, to dive deep. It is the spot, the only spot on the internet, I'm going to say, where you can go deep into conversations. And let, let me tell you about this. I was reading the Scholar Clubhouse, which is part of the program, and one of the coaches, Sean, who's a one of the best high school coaches in the For country. Sure. Yes. Yeah. When Sean speaks, but, I just listen. Yes. Yes. He put this comment. They were discussing, they were going back and forth on, well, should kids specialize? What if they do a bunch of sports? What if they do cross country and soccer and tennis and basketball and all of these things? And he gave this, this wonderful example where on his team a couple of years ago, you know, almost all of the top seven, on his team played other sports the other sports all said you have to quit cross country you have to focus on this you have to just pick one right and sean just said you know what your kids like you get to make the choice blah 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 fast forward most of those girls are now seniors and they quit soccer tennis whatever to focus on track and cross country and he had this great quote At the end of the day, we have to remember what we're here for. Kids eventually self-select. So you treat them right in the meantime because that's what you should be doing as a human being. And I I love that because here is one of literally the, the best high school coaches in the country. His teams have, again, been top five in various national championships in cross country. And he's saying, you know what? Don't force these kids, like treat them like adult or treat them like human beings, like do the right thing, allow them to pick when they want to pick and you be there to support them regardless. And it just gets to to, to like, this is why I love the clubhouse because we get these valuable insights and conversations like this that you don't get to have, you know, anywhere else. So join on in. I mean, it's a level headed approach, right? It's like understanding why you're there you're not there to create headlines or get all this news media necessarily like you're you're here to help develop young minds and bodies right and i think sometimes in our 24-hour news cycle and people grasping for content and attention we forget that right like it's it's part of our self-organizational process and like i was a five-time multi-sport athlete in high school and i self-selected cross country and track at the end of my junior, beginning of my senior year. And it was a natural organic thing. I mean, but we so often want to like, you know, bulldoze or helicopter and shape that path. But it's so refreshing to hear that. And there's a lot of reasons why that also is very healthy, not only from a psychological community culture standpoint, but also too from a motor unit recruitment, neural plasticity, um, diversification standpoint, you know, of as our good friend, of the podcast, uh, 
uh, David Epstein says in his book Range is having that ability to have a diverse sampling at a young age versus kind of this very deep and narrow too soon calamity. So, God, you know, yeah, just w watching that conversation go back and forth and just seeing those responses just made me love this community even more, Stephen. So join because you know what? It needs you, it needs us, it needs everyone to make it better. And guess what? It's getting better every single day. There's more content, there's more conversations, there's more people. Like it's just one of those things where it just it just aggregates value over time. And in 10 years from now, we're like, oh my God, you know, this person, this person, this person, it's just gonna be phenomenal. So get on board while the getting on board is inexpensive and pennies on the dollar. There you go. Sign up. Running Scholar Program. All right, so let's get into this week's topic. Biggest bang for your buck. Training and workouts that build you up without breaking you down. I mean, this came from, you know, the old quote from the uh, what science of winning physiologist, uh, author, um, swim coach, young Ulbricht, who says, at a young age, you should try to improve as much as possible with as little training as possible. And I'd argue to say it's not at a young age, it's at every age. Oh, I love that yeah. quote. That, that book, The Science of Winning, is one of my favorite books. I reference it all the time because there's so many deep insights in there like that, right? It's just very simple, but puts puts it very succinctly. And I think here's i'm gonna go on a little soapbox to start let's this. go give the people what they want tangents <laughs> here's where we get it wrong often we think because they can do it they should do it and in high school we often make this mistake well you know like john and i have mentioned many times before high school especially boys but also girls and women you are flooded. You're essentially on performance-enhancing drugs. <laughs> like let's let's be Mother honest. Nature. Yes, Mother yeah. Nature's secret. Yes. Yes, we're not 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 the uh, not the real performance-enhancing drugs. Maybe like some Russian skaters as teenagers, but you're on Mother Nature's performance-enhancing drugs, which is puberty. You've got that slew of anabolic growth hormones going crazy. It's why we have growth spurts, all that good stuff. And what that allows you to do is you can often do crazy stuff and bounce back because, you know, you're on Mother Nature's drugs. Now, often coaches think like, oh, great, like, this kid can handle it. Look at him handle three, four, five workouts a week. This is great. Like, they're getting better. They're handling it. No, no, no. Wait, wait, pause, time out. They're handling it because they're 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 boosted, right? In this case, thanks to Mother Nature. But you that eventually runs out. That eventually, like sets you back because why you've gone somewhere you've pushed so much that this is now their like expectation and norm for a stimulus right you've just said screw it let's apply all these stimulus get all these great adaptations i can kind of handle it because of the the anabolic hormones going crazy 
Well, as you come out of that, what happens is it, it it's simple. Stress plus rest equals growth, okay? You've jacked up the stress response so high that it will take crazy stuff to get another stimulus, right? So this is where I have a problem with this. Okay, they're absorbing it. They're getting faster. Like, this is great. This means I'm in the right, right space. No, no, no. Like, you're able to do that because of the anabolic signaling. And once that trickles down like it does for all of us, then you're going to be in a place where the athlete has nowhere to go. Yeah, you is what we call, quote unquote, frying them, right? Right, exactly. And I think this is this is like this is why that Jan Ulbricht quote is so important. Because it's not how much can they handle in the moment, right? It's how do I keep progressing them while giving them kind of the limited dose to keep that stimulus going? Because if I can do that over time, then I've all then I've got this longer runway of places to go, stimulus to provide. I didn't just go from zero to hundred. I'm just, you know, gradually increasing or improving or adding things so that, you know, we're just continuing on this adaptation train even when, you know, that anabolic signaling goes away. And that's the hardest part, I think, is to take this tempered approach and understand like the value, especially like, you know, working with high school kids again is they get work that doesn't look like work. And that's the the importance of a multi-sport athlete, right? Is when we think about muscle recruitment and motor unit recruitment, doing a diversity of activities, right? Having that farm strength, essentially microdosing uh, motor unit and muscle recruitment throughout the course of your day by, you know, picking up wheelbarrows or lifting buckets or bucking hay or whatever, right? So this is microdosing motor unit recruitment. And when you're a multi-sport athlete, when you're playing tennis, basketball, swimming, wrestling, football, baseball, when you're out at playing recess, when you're just being active, you know, riding around on your skateboard, you know, which is a huge, huge thing. Um, for developing, say, that posterior chain and that that impulse, right? Or your razor scooter, or even your bike. All these things that don't look like work and just transporting back and forth to school or throughout the neighborhood to visit your friends, that's recruiting motor units. So we come in and then we say, we have this very, you know, um, focused, razor-focused work period of 60 minutes of a practice session of a classroom. And this is where all your learning will take place. And it's, the reality is, no, it's not. It's, it's a very consolidated and condensed period. And in that consolidated condensed period of work, you actually have more of a propensity to do harm than good by doing too much work in too short of a period. I always equate this to like, you know, alcohol because the body's response to alcohol and is very similar to its response to um, you know, physical activity, right? Think of it this way. What's going to have the most severe, you know, response and, and it's a delayed effect. If you have an entire bottle of wine down that puppy, the whole thing in 45 minutes, right? You can do it. You can do it. You physically can get the liquid into your stomach. Then what's going to happen 
for the body's response afterwards. It's not going to be pretty at all. <laughs> or you can have half a glass of wine in an hour period, sipping on it through dinner multiple nights in a row and enjoy it as part of a meal and then have your body extract the nutrients, the flavonoids, et cetera, from that versus be so overly consumed by the poison of the alcohol that it then forces this very harsh and severe, nasty metabolic response afterwards. And this is what we think training should be, right? This is when people talk about workouts, they're like, oh, workouts should be really hard and severe, bone crushers, let's go, you know, uh, you know, they come up with all these, you know, pukers, gassers, you name them, right? And the reality is like, what if you just microdosed it? And this is, I think, the something Dan Path talks about that's really underappreciated. But if we look back at like say the five-tier training system that Frank Horwell advocated, Vinalana uses, we look back at Iglo, we look back at Bowerman, we look back at Serity, we look back at all these um, you know, Zatapec, it's like they're microdosing strength through running fast, whether you call it strides on quote unquote easier, globally easier days, pickups, fartleks, right? Or more um, traditional harder repetitions and or intervals. Well, if you think about that, even what literate advocated for eventually, essentially was in track season, run fast every day. But it's not run, we have a whole hard time understanding that it's not a constant it's dynamic, so it fluctuates. So some days is faster than other days. Some days is longer than other days. Some days is more volume. Some days is more rest. But if you're microdosing that muscle recruitment, that motor unit recruitment, day after day after day after day after day after day, in very very manageable dosages, guess what? You're going to get a lot faster, a lot stronger, and you're not going to have the quote unquote hangover the physiological, the metabolic hangover, you will if you just ground and pound it two big fat, you know, sessions a week that you post on social media and go, look, they did this crazy, crazy thing. Wow. And go deviate to that competition of training versus preparing training being preparation for competition. Yeah. You know, a couple of examples come to mind. Uh, one is, is when I trained with Alan Webb and Scott Rasco right i think there was like maybe one day a week where i didn't do it do something you know in addition to just running you know and it's like we've talked about this before so you can go back on the but podcast. this is the brilliant of rascal this is why i say he's one of the top coaches of the last 20 years in distance mill distance running in america and and now distance running <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> american records mile I mean, land marathon look over the train no wonder Alan was so good with him. No wonder. So, so, you know, the thing here is you talked about microdosing this stuff is, yes, you had the two main workout sessions plus the long run. But in, in between there, you had, you know, on a Monday, easy day after your eight or nine mile runs, you go to the track and you do a whole bunch of stuff. But you also do two 200s, two 150s, two 120s, right? And these are relatively fast. Like for me, they were like 30 seconds pace to start and faster, right? So we're looking at mile pace on down. Um, in addition, sometimes you'd have like accelerations on your easy days, like 60 meter excels, which are flat out. Um, other days we'd have, again, that 200, 
150, 120 only we'd get down to the 120s would be the last 100 would be 12 point, you know, and this is on an easy day. And they're always uh, in this kind of progressive manner, correct? And, yeah, and that's yes, always that's that's really important to motor unit recruitment, right? Because we want to exhaust your high threshold motor units first through, you know, familiar ish within the ballpark activity. And then once you get to that point of those high threshold motor units being exhausted, guess what? The lower threshold ones now get recruited. And you look through at like that's one key of Rasco's training is every and you talk to Alan, everything was always progressive because he's always thinking accelerations are progressive. The pace of what you're running, the 150s or 120s is progressive. The pace of workouts is progressive because at the end, you it's this delicate balance. You need to be fresh enough to maintain the velocity and the speeds with a little bit of fatigue and you're you know, uh, exposed to, but still run fast enough or faster to get that recruitment. And that is such a tough, tough balance to, to get right. Yeah, you're, you're spot on that progressive I think is important because it is, it's patterning this, um, cycling in, uh, muscles and motor units to be able to muscle fibers to do the work, um, which is something that we can touch on in a second, because I want to give the other example, which is really, um, really in vogue right now, which is, Oh, the Norwegians, the Ingerbritsen, the Mary's back in article, which we talked about on the running scholar program, which was a great well, discussion. By the what... way. That was fun. I mean, those monthly training talks are just phenomenal. So another yes. reason to we were... pony up the, the heady less than a dollar a day <laughs> that we ask yeah. is like, yeah, they're just so much fun. <laughs> yes. So we, we went deep on that, but one of the things that you see, see clearly is, well, these guys emphasize, you know, lactate threshold and all this stuff. They're essentially microdosing as much of that as they can because they think that's important, right? You see it in their double threshold sessions. And instead of the traditional, hey, I'm going five miles at threshold, they break it up, right? They're doing a K's at threshold or 400s a little bit faster, kind of like old Zatapec or Igloy with very short rest. Why, why do they do that? Because when you break it up, it makes it a little bit more tangible and easy and not where you push over the edge like a five mile just straight run and you're able to like microdose and, you know, keep, get more like total time without beating your body up as much. So I, I think there's something to this idea of, okay, how do we get the quality of work so that it builds us up without or with minimizing breaking down? And I think this is one of these lost arts that often gets you know neglected or forgotten about. And I'm going to give you one example. I said two, but I'm going to give you three because this one popped into my mind and I think it's important. So Bowerman, like one of his workouts that no one, pretty much no one ever does anymore which I think is a shame because it gets at this concept is they, they used to go wrong. They used to do some intervals on the track. Let's say, I don't know, four hundreds. And then they'd go out for like a six mile run <laughs> and then they'd come back and do some more intervals on the track. It, and, and think about that. What is it? What is that? But kind of like a little microdosing of like some quote unquote speed work or whatever have you intermixed with like some steady, easy running. And let's let's take that to the cycling of motor units that you talked about. Right. Which 
is important because what happens when we fatigue is we essentially just cycle in. Like we're always rotating essentially who's doing the job in our muscle. Right. The brain is what always constantly, do. think of it like groups, right? Like you have groups and we're all, and the brain's constantly cycling those groups. Yeah, it's like you just rotate A, A group, B group, C mm-hmm. group, D group, and then back to A. Why? Because that like allows you to w- sustain that force production over a while. What what happens is like there's some really we'll call it stubborn groups that are hard to recruit that you got to like really be like, hey, dude, get your ass in there, like take your pull. Um, if we train those to remind them that they can they can do the work, then we're able to recruit and utilize them as maybe our our A group is failing and falling apart. You say, hey, E group, get your ass in there. Like we know you're you're privileged and don't like to do a lot of work, but like get your ass in there and do your work. Well, think about this Bowerman thing. Like you do some fast work, then you go on a six mile kind of steady run. Okay. Then you come back and you do some fast work. Well, what have you done here? You've recruited some fast twitch muscle fibers, then gone for a predominantly slow twitch you know, activity where you're just cycling through in easier to recruit muscle fibers, but it's six miles or whatever, seven, eight miles. So it's prolonged and you start fatiguing those slow twitch fibers. And then you come back and you do something fast in a slow twitch fiber fatigue state. And you say, Hey, Hey body, we got to run fast. Like recruit some of these fast twitch fibers under this fatigue state. Like remember what it's like, get progressively faster so that you can nudge them towards this. And you're, again, microdosing, but training this ability to recruit fast twitch fibers under a, after you've deliberately fatigued everything else. I'm raising my hand because there's one person who's trying those workouts out right now and have been with some of my athletes for about three months and they work brilliantly. I mean, I've been doing them. When I read this, I just, I saw the brilliance of this. It's essentially like three sections, right? It's like a three course meal. You have the fast, fresh section. Then you have the uh, steady managing fatigue section. And then you have this, this fast in managing fatigue again, right? And this is the, the art of distance and middle distance running is how are you training your body to manage fatigue? Because that it's inescapable, but you can delay, you can do two things. You can delay the fatigue effect, or you can also create enough um, janitorial services, so to speak, and clean up the fatiguing agents throughout the course of the activity. And this is the relationship of the body to acid, right? We don't like acid. Acid is no good. We have a very sensitive blood, blood pH. But Mother Nature gave us two ways to deal with it. One is if you have enough motor units that you re- can have recruited or a bigger pool of motor units to cycle through, and instead of going through A, B, C, D, you go through A, B, C to Q. Well, then as you're going descending down that, you know, grouping or profile of motor units, A is doing nothing while B through Q is working, right? Well, what happens then? Mother Nature is going to say, hey, you know what? We're going to work you right up to your A lactic threshold where you produce no lactate, right? Because he, we have that ability, that energy system debility in, in us. And then we're going to rest you. And then you allow the ATP and everything to resynthesize. And this can take even microsec- milliseconds. Like it's just so quick sometimes, right, in highly trained individuals. So you go through the cycling process. 
and then you get this no lactate situation. We're not, it's not even, a, it's not there. Like that's the best, right? We'll have no mess to clean up. However, if you are going to go do something prolonged or you don't have enough motor units recruited because you didn't do enough recruitment based activity, well, now your only other consequence is then to clean up the mess as you make it, which is the whole threshold, lactate threshold phenomenon, right? Which the Ingram Britsons and Marcus Bag, everyone's doing is saying, hey, we're going to just make our janitorial surface so robust that we can constantly clean up all this acidosis as we're producing this lactate because lactate is a, you know, sugar, it's a fuel, it's the end product of all glycolysis, all right? If you go through that glycolysis cycle, lactate will be produced. And then we're going to have this mechanism in place that we have to develop over the long haul to help fuel and also not hurt us. So it's very interesting Like you have two paths. And like I was texting Steve and Danny Mackey this week, and it's like, this now explains why high intensity, low mileage, middle distance runners can be effective because they are recruiting more motor units globally with their type of training than say the uh, more aerobic inclined middle distance runner who is then on the other side of the spectrum uh, creating better janitorial services through elevating their, their threshold to lactate, right? And so now we understand this always, it's always a spectrum, right? There's people out there who want to make it an either or black and white polarized thing. It's a spectrum. Sometimes it's better to have an athlete be more recruitment profiles. And so they can cycle through and not create as much uh, acid. Or sometimes it's better to deviate in the other direction and create better janitorial services to clean up that acid. And that is the lovely, beautiful thing that's Mother Nature. And when we understand that and understand what direction we want to go, where the gap is for an athlete, then we can get that athlete a lot better, a lot quicker relatively, instead of just kind of like throwing the whole kitchen sink at them and hoping they adapt. Love it. I love the the janitorial uh, <laughs> analogy. I know. I'm, I'm of that... the mind like, don't even make the mess, man. Don't. Why? <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's that's uh that's really because think about it, like you know even in high school you say oh you know we're gonna have this 400 meter runner who's trained with the sprint group move up to the 800 and it's like they're really good at the 800 and everyone's mind's like boo, 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 boo. they don't do long runs they never run over 60 seconds in practice for an interval how they do that well it's how igloo did it with bob Schul. bob Schul never ran over 300 meters in an interval or repetition in practice but he's out there for two and a half hours running hundreds to three hundreds at really high, high relative threshold, getting that motor unit recruitment while I wins the Olympic 5k. <laughs> yep. Bob Schul, man. Dude. I love it. Yeah, experience. I do too. And, yeah. and, but like, so I was coached by one of Bowerman's pupils, Bob Williams in high school, who was a all American steeplechaser for Oregon, you know, on cinders running, you know, eight thirties. Right. And he was always so concerned about being fresh, be fresh, be fresh, be fresh. Cause that was Bowerman's thing. Be fresh, be fresh. So every workout we would do, it'd always be this progression too easy, too medium, too hard. Cause that's really what a lot of Bowerman stuff was, was all right. Date pace or, or, or date pace to goal pace. Right. Or, but effort. And he's like fresh, 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 fresh. And he was always quick to pull the trigger. If you showed any sign of fatigue, you came to the track, Oh coach, you know, I'm feeling kind of tired. Today. Okay. Uh, just, you know, a couple of easy strides, go home. That's it. <laughs> like come back tomorrow. We need to be fresh. And they were so concerned with the state of freshness. Um, you know, maybe a little overly concerned, but because that was their mindset 
if you look at Bowerman's mileage profile, really for all those sub-format miles he coached, really low mileage, right? But lots of high recruitment work. But in order to get that benefit, to recruit at a high enough capacity, you need to be fresh. And this makes sense why he naturally stumbled upon, you know, easy, medium, hard, even within a, a series of reps, right? This, the 300s, the six times 300s or minute on, minute off, they'd always be progressive in terms of easy, medium, hard. And what I've been doing with like the athletes I've been working with, with those Bowerman um, three-part, you know, as I call them, the three-part meal workouts is that middle portion that kind of like th- what we call threshold or 15K, 10K type effort. I've actually not haven't been six miles steady. It's, you know, been 1200s with, you know, like uh, Canova style alternations, right? 1200s at sub threshold, 400s at like marathon pace. Or, you know, if the athlete's not doing well, like, okay, mile, you know, at threshold with 30, uh, 30, uh, seconds to 60 seconds walk, right? Just to temper that threshold capacity and then do that for, you know, from three to, depending on the athlete, three to six miles. And by managing that in the middle, it's been working out brilliant because yeah, now they come to the last series of uh, 300s and they are slightly fatigued, but not excessively fatigued. The acid has been able to have been subsided or abated and now we can really get after it and they can slowly and progressively um, run faster on the, the the final ascending or descending 300s. And the, the rule is always this, fastest, lastest, right? So your last is your fastest. And that's what we're trying to set them up, even in a state of fatigue, through this motor unit um, conditioning. You know, as, as I sit here and listen to this, which is great, that was a, a wonderful example of how to utilize this. I often wonder if the reason we deviated away from some of this, what I'd call mixed or blended work, is because after Igloy and then Bowerman and Lydiard and all all those guys, um, we kind of shifted towards what I'll call like straight reps, which means we just do one thing in a session and try and do that well. And I think I think that came out of like the physiological kind of increases or the increases in our our understanding of the physiology, which then like pushed us towards saying, hey, we need to train in these zones and this is a VO2 max workout or this is a lactate threshold workout or this is an anaerobic workout. And because we now had a name and a label for the workout. We just stuck with those things. It's like we're gonna do, you know, eight by eight hundred at three five k or three k pace today because it's a VO two max workout, whatever it is, right? It, and I know we've always had those like straight workouts and all that stuff, but it became such a normal thing to do where you just kind of programmed it that way, where it's like Monday, what are we doing? Threshold you know, workout. What are we doing Wednesday? We're doing, I don't know, mile pace, like tolerance workout. And then, you know, Friday, whatever, VO2 max workout. And we just kind of stuck with that where we do one thing and that's it. And I think what we're getting at here is when you can vary the stimulus up a little bit during the workout, 
and attack things from different angles and also get like not only this physiological kind of parameter boost, but also this neuromuscular boost. And I saw, you know, I'm going to go back to Alan Webb's training. If you look at his training all the time, or if you look at his training, which again, we'll have up in the scholar program at, at some point, is even the workouts that are like, let's say 16 by 400. We'll just pull that out. Well, you think 16 by 400. Oh yeah, that's a straight, that's a straight repeat. No, 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 no. Wrong. No. Wrong. Wrong. Like they're doing them in sets four. of, you know, let's say 16 so that's, sets, yeah, of four. sets of four. And you look at it. The first four are at like, I don't know, 61, 62 seconds with short rest. And then by the end, you get you're you're you know, you're not having a minute rest. You're having three minutes rest and you're doing them in 54. Or you're progressing right? the rest yes. between the series or the sets. And also in yes. the later sets, you're progressing the rest between the reps. That was yeah, very common, it's, too. It, it's all this mixture of changing the paces and rest so that you can often what was genius about rasco is he'd just give you just a little bit more rest you know i remember all this this all the time you know we'd be doing 400s in the first set we'd have a minute rest and then you'd be like you know what you're gonna get 75 mm -hmm. seconds rest in between here and you're in your head you're just like oh 75 <laughs> 15 more five. seconds like, thank you <laughs> 15 more seconds and then the next, the next, you know, and then in between sets, instead of having two minutes, he'd be like, all right, you're going to get three minutes. And I'm like, oh, thank God. And then, you know, you'd have 90 seconds rest and whatever. And it would just be very subtle, but just enough where you're playing this, this battle game against the fatigue where you can get a little bit faster. You can get a little bit faster because you're getting more rest. And I, I think, again, this idea of, how can we vary the stimulus to get it's again kind of like this microdosing concept where we can get a little bit more bang for our buck, especially on the neuromuscular standpoint, without just grinding through this 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 fatigue that often comes with workouts. Yeah, um I um a lot going on, you know, as I think about this, Steve, it's like I think we're right. We tried to take laboratory settings and this concept of everything needs to be even, this kind of homeostatic application of um, stimuli. And then we tried to remanufacture and repurpose that with really good intentions to training when the reality is, you know, this kind of physiological holy grail of running an even split race, even pace as like the most best efficient way to do it. And people argue like, look at Hisham El Garouge's 1500 meter, you know, uh, world record. It's even splits. It's like, we like that. We love the idea of constant. It's, it's stable. It's predictable. It's very secure. People flock and move to California because the weather's always the same, right? Less people in Montana because there's a lot of variability, right? A lot of volatility. But if we um, think about the greatest marathoner of all time, Sammy Wanjerno. Yes, I said Sammy Wanjerno, not you know Kipchoge. A lot of respect to Kipchoge. But I, I, I'm actually. I think Sammy Wanjerno, had he lived, would have demolished with super shoes the 
um, to our bear. We'd probably be running like low 150s. Because if you think about what Samuel Wanjiro did in Beijing, and remember the buildup in Beijing, everyone was like, oh, it's crazy, the humidity, the conditions, the what have you, right? It's like uh, they started at 72, 70 degrees with 72% humidity in 2008. And what do you do? Bam, took out, bat out of hell, sub 15 for the first 5K, <laughs> which people are like, huh, what? You know, they're running 206 pace right off the right off the, the bat, right? And in the days with no super shoes, when that was like the upper limit, around the upper limit, upper threshold of what you could do when everything was like, you know, perfect, right? And then he comes through in like 10K and 29.25, 10K. 70 degrees, 72% humidity. This is insane, right? I mean, even the people are like, oh, it's he's running an insane pace. He's like, you know, on a suicide mission, what have you, right? Then they slowed down to 15.11 for the third 5K to go through 15K and 44.36. They're still blitzing it, man. Like, you know, and yeah, he slowed down a little bit and they come through in half marathon, right? And 62.34, again, they sped up from 15K to 20K. So slow down to speed up variable pacing to 14.34s. So here we have the fastest split, right, 14.34, coming after the slowest 5K split up into that point. And if you go back and you look at how Samuel Angelo set the still standing Olympic record in the marathon without super shoes. And that's a really important caveat, especially in the marathon these days. It's phenomenal, but it wasn't an even pace, even kill strategy as everyone says you have to do in the marathon to be excess, uh, successful. It was variable pacing. And that's, I think the body responds well to this and go, why? Why does the body respond well to this variable pacing? Well, remember anaerobic and aerobic metabolism is all going on at the same time, all the time. <laughs> There's no on or off. Like we tend to think it's like black and white. Oh, working on the anaerobics and it's all the anaerobics. No, no, no. We're cycling through those different metabolizing strategies to create energy. So sometimes there's an aerobic process, right? And aerobic tends to be with the janitorial services. Think of it as a tonic, right? As water. Let's go back to that wine example. If you say, if I say, okay, now have two glasses of wine in an hour but also have three glasses of water with those two glasses of wine in that hour. Anyone who drinks alcohol understands like, oh, you probably won't be hung over the next day. You probably won't have any ill adverse effects. Why? The water acts as a neutralizing tonic. Aerobic metabolism, aerobic oxidation, acts as a neutralizing tonic to acidification by the janitorial services and, you know, all the Cori cycle, Krebs cycle, all that good stuff. Well, that's why you want to oscillate the pace. That's why you want to have some variability, right? Because th that little kind of like back off of the aggressive pace gives you enough time to recycle so you can boost forward again. And this is what Canova figured out with his alternation workouts that are so brilliant. He's like, yeah, we're going to press and then we're going to slightly ease back. So we're going to get this tonic of aerobic. And then after that, we're going to boom again, back and forth, back and forth, this seesaw approach. And because of that, you know, he trained for many years, the best cohort of marathoners that we saw, like after Sammy Wanjiro, you know, passed and before the, you know, metric rise of Kipchoge.
All right. You know, what I'd add there, you mentioned Canova's alternations. And we've talked about biggest bang for your buck workouts that build you up in this varied pace. I think this is why fart licks are essential and overlooked. Oh, yes. Preach. Because they teach you this brilliantly while also often ensuring that you don't go over the edge because they're entirely by feel and often like you have, if you do them, especially the traditional way, there's no marker. You're not trying to run a thousand meters in three minutes, right? You're just on some trail running for a couple minutes hard, you know, and then taking, taking a break and then doing again. And I think if you can treat train fart licks like this, I think this is where it's like Canova's alternations are a um, variation on fart licks, maybe an updated. Yeah. It's a structured fart lick. And I think, you know, bringing these back especially for high school kids high school kids like this is this was my bread and butter in in high school for developing aerobic ability it wasn't tempo runs for us like we did a long steady tempo run but for us it was often fart legs where we just kind of you know rode that line recovered rode that line recovered and just running through the woods with no idea how fast we were actually running and just learning how to listen to our body to figure this this stuff out and judge that back and forth effort, right? And I think if you can do that, it's a great workout that builds you up and doesn't break you down because you're not pressing to you know run this one in this 800 meters in 210 or 208 or 206 or whatever it is you're just letting it come to you. And I think in our kind of structured and modern training, we often try and force things. And that's why I think the Norwegian like system of threshold training, whatever, and controlling it, the reason they're controlling it is because we have this idea of like push, push, push. If you can ingrain like maybe uh, Igloy or Bob Schul on like, hey, no, listen to it. Or as you said, you know, the old, your old high school coach Williams is if you can learn what fresh feels like or fresh and fast feels like, then you don't need the lactate monitors measures. You kind of learn this nuance of, of what it feels like to run fast under control, ride that line, et cetera, et cetera. And I think, you know, to piggyback on that, like, Yeah, it's this organic, like you ran as fast as you wanted until you didn't feel like it anymore. And then you waited for your body to recover to to clean up all the acid that you might have created. And then you did it again. I mean, it's it's not rocket science. But one of the, you talk about confusion, and I know this is a a long walk to get to Biggest Bang for Your Buck workouts. (laughs) But it's important that we give this context where we really get into some specifics here is the confusion also lies, I think, in not only are kind of copy and paste of laboratory um, structure of workouts, constant, even, steady. Because, I mean, how else are you going to create replicability, right, by having these kind of stabilized conditions? Is also, too, our slow and steady misunderstanding 
and misdefinite or inaccurate definition of repetition training and interval training. Repetition training, just for, as a reminder, that is like we're going to do ten times two hundred at eight hundred meter pace effort, whatever. That's repetition training. With as much rest as I, who gives a f about the interval of recovery? No one cares. All we're doing is like, you know, um, like the great I forget is it Tom Tom Courtney I believe the eight hundred meter um, champion uh, for the U.S. the last eight hundred meter champion for the U.S. in the Olympics in the fifties. His training was very simple: ten times three hundred, three times a week, year round. That was it. And he just did repetition training, right? And, and so the goal is first to get the speed of the reps to the desired position, right? So you start your date pace, you progress it to whatever is your goal pace. Then the, then, and only then, then do you start to transition that from a repetition workout to an interval workout. And an interval workout means you're hyper-focused on the recovery between the fast running bouts. So the repetition workouts say 10 times 200 at 800 meter effort. The interval workout is then, yeah, you're running the 200s at 800 meter effort, but we're going to take only 30 seconds rest or only 60 seconds rest. So you're controlling the interval between the reps as your primary um, stimuli, right? We started and like, it's been really confusing for me, even as a young coach, because people are, oh, we're doing intervals today. And that's a repetition workout, or you're blending too early the import and focus on both the repetition, the pace of the rep, and also the interval, the duration of the recovery between the rep. Pick one or the other, right? And then progress accordingly. And the best way to do it, and the way that like Lydiard advocated, you know, Shul did it, you know, a lot of Bowerman, like a lot of people in Canova would argue with extension, right? is stabilize the pace first, the speed of play first, and then extend or the speed you're going at by either shortening the recovery interval or prolonging the repetition, which does shorten the recovery interval, right? If you go from two times 200 to one times 400, there's zero recovery, there's zero interval there, <laughs> but it's the same speed. And then work your way that way for endurance uh, of the speed, of the pace. And it's really tough because you go look at, like, say, Daniel's, you know, very influential book, Formula for Distance Running, and he calls intervals an act like a different thing. He calls them VO2 max. He calls them, oh, we're doing intervals at your v intervals means VO2 max type running for a longer duration. And I go, that's a completely wrong definition, unfortunately. Uh, when the reality is, it should be the focus on the time, right? And this is where. You know, Peter Thompson's new interval training, which is just interval training or Russian style intervals or Canova's alternations. This is why they make sense. But first, 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 you must establish the speed and the pace for the repetitions before transferring over and then worrying so much about the interval, the recovery interval, the interval between the repetitions. All right. So I'm glad we, I, I'm glad you went down that because I think, again, it's, there's nuance in all of this stuff and often we get confused and throw everything together, right? And this is what, this is my number one complaint with the research around interval training because everything just gets thrown into this like high intensity interval training bucket. 
you know, and you see these studies and they're just like high intensity interval training improves this. And I just want to pull my hair out because I'm like, what are you talking about? Like there's so much nuance between this stuff based on rest, speed, intensity, like whether it's actual intervals or repetitions as you just outlined there. Yes, or this one style of training at this velocity will cure all ills. It's just it's just snake yeah. oil like, you know, version 2020. <laughs> yep, ex- exactly. So now that we've set the stage and we've kind of hinted at this, but let's let's give some concrete. Let's examples. go simple. Let's go middle distance workouts, 800 to a mile, you know, short endurance, short distance workouts, 3K to 5K and then 10K and up. Okay. Sounds good. All right. We'll start. Middle distance. I'm going to give you a very simple one. Uh, 200 meter repeats with a slow 200 jog. And the reason I think this is a big bang for your buck where you start off a little bit slower and you get progressive is (coughs) you get this nice rhythm that you understand and you learn how to run fast. Okay. Under control because it's only 200 and you stop before any sort of huge fatigue hits you because it's only 200. I'll tell you, if you look back at my high school training, I would do like 16 times 200 the week of just about every mile race. And it wasn't that hard. It wasn't breaking me down, but it locked me into that like 31 down to 27 kind of rhythm so well that I knew the nuance between the speeds and how to just very subtly change gears and and find that rhythm um, expertly. And I think, I think 200s again, it's not, not very fatiguing, right? A little bit slower than mile pace on down to around eight, a little around 800 pace, a little slower than that. But one of the best workouts you can do for biggest bang for your buck for middle distance. Love it. Um, mine would be very similar, but with a little bit of a twist, it would be 200s and then either really, really fast 150s or really, really fast 22nd hills. And then back to, and then uh, cutting down to high recruitment or fast hundreds. So why? So, Again, the 200s, again, the goal for middle distance is no acid. We want little acidification because the acidosis tolerance workout is essentially the middle distance race, right? So if you biggest bang for your buck, you can't expose someone to high yields of acidosis until you've primed the recruitment to be able to actually handle a state with little to no acidosis. I know it's kind of confusing, but it's like acid is the killer, so we want to delay that point that we expose them to that later and you only can get so much before you reach your kind of tolerance plateau right this is why acidosis tolerance workouts only six weeks maximum but if you're running an 800 meter race every week that's basically your acidosis tolerance workout <laughs> the 200s again aimed at exhausting or you know going through those high threshold units. now the hills is an interesting thing one of the things that we, you know, quick little tangent and deviation here about Ron Warhurst, Nick Willis, and Hobbs Kessler. They do hills all the freaking time, all the time. 
I'm talking year round all the time. One, one, the secrets to Willis's of his many years of, you know, 20 years, two decades of breaking sub four minutes in the mile every year is year round hill training. Why? Because hills are the most specific form of strength training distance runners can do. And they maximize recruitment of motor units, right? Because you got to move your biomass up this incline. So hills, at a, and with, we've seen it's at a not a crazy incline. It doesn't need to be 10%. It can be, you know, 5% slope, 4% slope. That's fine. So then you do the hills or the fast 150s to then create this recruitment opportunity with some extensive properties. And then you finish up with the hundreds because, yeah, you're fatigued. And now we are actually going deep, deep, deep into a recruitment territory of, as Steve called, those stubborn uh, you know, motor units, those stubborn fibers, but we're only doing it for a hundred at fast velocities with full rest, mind you. So we don't, uh, impact coordination because one of the things that impacts coordination causes slowdown is fatigue. So we want to go at as high of a threshold as possible with a manageable amount of fatigue in us. We get maximum recruitment. And, you know, I, for developing runners, I go very simple, three of each, you know, for people who are a little bit more strong and robust, we might bump that up to five of each. That's it. I mean, you do that workout. If you had to put a gun to my head, you know, for an 800 meter or middle distance runner, doing that workout twice a week, three times a week, if possible, you can get a lot of bang for your buck with that. All right, let's go to the next. So this kind of 5K, 10K area. So I'm going to give you a, a variation that I think big bang for your buck. Instead of doing something like five or six by mile, do this instead. Do sets where you're going 1,200 at around 5K pace or 10K down to 5K pace. Short rest. And then a either 300 or 400 at a quicker pace. Oh, yes. The Magnus so special. Maybe like, mm. maybe like mile, little 3K to mile effort. So you're just going back and forth. Maybe five sets of 1,200, 10K to 5K. 400, 3K to mile. And I love this variation, and you have a little bit longer rest after the the 400, let's say, so that it, you you get back on the 1200. And I love this variation for the exact reason we've talked about so many times in here, is you're cycling this motor unit, you're injecting a little bit of fast twitch stuff in here because you're running faster, and then you're settling back down so that you have to like deal with that, understand it, train that, et cetera. So that cycling effect, I think, has a bigger bang for your buck. And also because you're breaking up these miles, even though you're running a little bit faster kind of with the 400 in there, it's not as damaging or fatiguing, especially psychologically. You can handle it a lot better because you're just breaking things. Mm, love it. Mine's, again, very close. Uh, you know, stole it from Vin Lanana. 1K and 1K breakdowns. So just one run OK at your race pace, 3K, 5K, whatever. And then 500, 300, 200 breakdowns. Faster as it gets shorter, you know, and you can play with the recovery as needed. Uh, typically 400 meter, you know, three minutes recovery. Or if you want to get real fancy in the breakdown, you can do um, recovery interval is going to be the length of the falling repetition of the breakdown so after the 500 300 rest after the 300 200 rest and you can dose back and forth go 1k breakdown 1k breakdown or you can go 1k two sets of breakdown two 1ks one you i mean you can play with it however you want to play with it it's great 
but for this, a lot of the same reasons that you referenced, Steve, it's just a little different variation on, on that session. All right. Let's move to our longer distances. Longer distances aerobic stuff. So here, I'm going to give you a variation on... Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go in a different... I'm going to go a different route because I love this this type of workout. Okay. For marathon or half marathon, I love doing two-mile repeats at about, we'll call it threshold, half marathon pace, whatever called you, but then interspersed with hills. So you're doing something maybe like, let's say, three by two mile, but... With 200 meter, let's say five by 200 meter hills in between. And again, what are you, what are you doing here? You're going steady, aerobic, riding that line. You're going hill, increasing the strength power component. Okay. Recruiting muscle fibers you normally wouldn't. Putting a little lactate into the system, but not too much because it's only, you know, four or five by 200. So it's not that, that hard. Um, then you're going back to the steady two mile, which is then teaching you how to, we'll say, clean up, right? Absorb the lactate and extending your ability or extending the ability of some of those fast twitch, faster twitch fibers that you recruited and training them aerobically. And you just do this dance back and forth. And I, I find this, again isn't as fatiguing as if we did, I don't know, six mile threshold and just said, go for it. Um, because you've got this breaking up and this ebb and flow, which allows people to stay in it. And two mile repeats at threshold, honestly, aren't, aren't that difficult. You can still get through them. So again, it, it kind of allows you to accumulate this volume hmm. as well. Mine is, uh, a three mile descending ladder. So three mile, two mile, one mile, 800, 400, two times 200. So very similar situation here. We're starting off the three mile at somewhere around there, kind of, you know, um, 10K pace. And we're just getting a little bit faster, like 10K pace, then like 8K type pace for the two mile, 5K type pace for the one mile, 300 type pace for the 800, 1500 meter type pace for the 400, and then just good and fast for the 200s. Four meter jog in between, or three to four minutes rest, just anchoring the, the rest interval or the interval as we progressively get faster going down uh, the ladder. Yeah, love it. Just simple, easy. Love it. No, I love it. It's just getting that, you know, getting that 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 taking advantage of this so let's 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 wrap this up a little bit um those are some great concrete examples but what i hope you as a coach who's listening at home hears is that you have this creativity to expand away from the kind of traditional what we'll call straight repeats right and when you can harness this ebb and flow then you get these other benefits beyond just the physiology, but you kind of bring in some of this, you know, lactate utilization, neuromuscular, motor unit recruitment and cycling, all of these good things. And if you look back, 
you know, in I'll call it the pre-physiology days when we didn't have as much of an understanding. Coaches like Igloy or Bowerman um, or even Sarity, like these guys, even Zadapek to a degree, like these guys were were brilliant at this. Zadapek often you think like, oh, we just did 400s, blah, blah, blah. But Zadapek, as we talked about earlier, like he was a master at accumulating volume in this kind of controlled space, right? Um, which again, we talked about in our running scholar program with the, 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 uh, Norway stuff, but anyways, you can get creative, whether it's using Hills, whether it's alternations, whether it's using progressions like John just mentioned, or Alan Webb and Scott Rasco, where Scott Rasco is brilliant at this stuff, but using those to manipulate the stimulus. So you get a bigger bang for your buck without the breaking down of just riding and grinding to get, you know, your 10 400s or your eight by K or whatever it is. And just like holding on at the mm-hmm. end. It's also important to remember coordination is impacted by fatigue and fatigue nine times out of 10 is kind of the form of acidification we've talked about. So I'm the first to advocate when you're working on pure speed, pure coordination, Yes, you want to be in a, as fresh a state as possible because that purity of coordination cannot be fully maximized or utilized or learned in a overly or compromised uh, state of fatigue. However, the, as we go up the distance running food chain in terms of distance, living in a fatigue-free state it becomes more rarefied air and less likely, Right. So then the goal is to be able to be a power endurance athlete where we have to create speed and strength, coordination and force in and managing and negotiating fatigue. And so that's the hard part about being a distance coach is we have to balance these two contrasting things constantly in workouts, uh, training, micro on a day-to-day global, you know, week-to-week, month-to-month, season-to-season. And that's, there's always going to be a compromise, right? It's how much of a compromise in each direction are you making and why are you, and knowing why you're making that compromise. So my thing is like, don't call, Hey, we're doing speed in uh, like four, two hundreds after we do a six mile tempo. That's not speed. That's coordination in a fatigue state and recruitment in a fatigue state, which is great training. Yeah. But speed is we're doing f- uh, fly 40s at max velocity or max acceleration in a fresh state. And I know we are like, sometimes I feel like we're like grumpy old men. That's like, get off my lawn with like our nitpickiness of vocabulary and nuance. But it really, really makes a difference because going through and reading the literature and reading what coaches are talking about, there's coaches who are like, they're talking about speed and we're doing speed. But really, they're talking about strength. And there's coaches who are talking about strength, and we're doing strength work. But really, what they're talking about is aerobic capacity endurance. And it gets really, really confusing. And that's really what I, you know, the hopefully the goal is with the, this conversation, the conversations we're having in the scholar program and on, in the clubhouse, and then also um, all the other content we're putting out there is clean up some of this confusion and fogginess so we have more clarity. Because remember, clarity is power. And when you're very clear about what you're doing, 
you can then get the biggest bang for your buck and do the as little training as possible to get the maximum benefit for that athlete at that time. Because the thing we always do when we don't know what we're doing is we do more of it. <laughs> that man, that hits, right? It's true. When you when don't, don't know what you're doing, you just do more. Doing. You do more. Oh man. All right. We gotta end. We gotta end there. That that is the brilliant insight. I'm I I love that. I'm gonna write this down because it's so true, not only in training, but in just about just, everything. It's true. It's so true. It's just about everything. But when you know exactly what you're doing, you do just as enough. Just just what needs to be done, no more. It's brilliant. It's like uh, Leonardo or it's like Picasso's like quotes on simplicity, right? Yep. Yep. Ah, oh, that's brilliant. Okay, if you take nothing away from this podcast, that is it. That's your your well, gift for enduring the last hour of ranting and raving from Stephen John. That's right. All right. Well, if you'd like more insight like that, don't forget check out the Running Scholar program. Join the community. Get in on the monthly Zoom chats so that you can go deep on this stuff. We really appreciate you guys listening, and until next time. Enjoy your coaching, get better, and you know, figure out what you know and what you don't know and don't default to doing more.